Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Consequence Podcast Network. Hi, this is Robbie Gray from Modern English, giving you the story behind the song on Consequence. Welcome, listeners, to the story behind the song. One of the most iconic songs of the 1980s post-punk new wave era is I Melt With You. And Modern English is the band that put it out into the world. I Melt With You is one of the very few songs that is instantly recognizable to multiple generations. As soon as we hear it, we dance to it, and we become nostalgic because of it. But while I Melt With You in many ways sounds like a straightforward love song, it is anything but... In this week's episode, Just In Time for Modern English, releasing its first new album in over eight years, titled One, Two, Three, Four, I interview lead singer and songwriter Robbie Gray about how the song was born, what its lyrics really mean, and why it continues to live on over 40 years later. So take a listen as we dive into the story behind Modern English's classic post-punk anthem, I Melt With You, with singer Robbie Gray. So thanks for joining me today. We're in very different time zones. This is actually, I've had, I think, 36 or 37 shows, and this is my first one where it's actually dark over here where I am (laughs) in Southern California. So this is a rare moment. It's consequences, story behind the song, after hours. That's what this is. So so obviously, Robbie, the great music, and today we're going to be getting into the iconic song that everybody knows from every generation I melt with you. It's one of those. I was thinking about it. There's so many great songs, but of all the songs, when you think about that era, I melt with you. It's tough to argue that that is not the most lasting, enduring, and kind of cross generational. And just as an example of that, I pulled this up. A lot of songs get synced into movies and television, but the list that I Melt With You has been in in terms of television movies. The likes of Valley Girl, Napoleon Dynamite, The Wedding Crashers, 16 Candles, 50 Shades of Grey. So you go from Valley Girl to 50 Shades of Grey to now television, The Simpsons, Stranger Things, Shameless, South Park, Glee, where I think that the cast itself sang the song. So it was like a central part of the story. And before we dig into that, and, and we're going to talk about your new album coming up too, which is exciting, one, two, three, four. But before we dig into it, Robbie, just how does that feel when you created something that is one of the most lasting, enduring, and pervasive songs from that era? How does that feel? Well, you you gave me a good intro there, I have to say. That's <laughs> well, true. Know. It's all true. It's one of those classic songs. I think what what I like to 
to say to people is it's a love song, but it's a kind of got a dark lyric, really. If you really dig into the lyric, talking about digging in, if you dig into the words, it's kind of more of a sort of um, gloomy love song, I'd like to call it. But yeah, you're right. It's very enduring. It seems to have been covered by so many people. If you go on YouTube as well, you'll find heart versions of it. It's crazy, but, you know, we don't complain about it. It pays all the bills. And it yeah. gives us a chance to do like our, our new album, one, two, three, four, and, and albums before that. Without I Melt With You, we probably wouldn't be able to continue, you know. Well, it's pretty remarkable. And that was from I Melt With You is from 1982's album After yeah. the Snow. So it just recently celebrated its 40th anniversary. So do you remember, Robbie, where you were and the band were when it first came to you? And was it a lyric that came to you? Well, that's a story and a half, really. I mean, for instance, when we started as a band, it was because of punk rock, the Sex Pistols, the Clash. That's, that's what was happening in England and London at the time. So yeah. we would never have played music before that. We'd have listened to it. We'd have been listening to David Bowie, you know, stuff like that, but not playing it. But when punk rock happened, we just started a band. So our first album, Mesh and Lace, which came out on 4AD Records, was very, very noisy and edgy. And we didn't really have any songwriting structures because we didn't know how to do that. So it was all pe we used to call it pieces of music. We'd just stick them together. And then yeah. I'd do the words and the lyrics afterwards. Fast forward to After the Snow, which had a producer called Hugh Jones. He actually helped a lot with the songwriting arrangements because we didn't really know much about that. But with the lyric, I remember where I wrote it like yesterday. I was in London in Shepherd's Bush in, in a house. I was sitting on the floor cross-legged with a full scrap of paper on the floor. And I wrote all those words, the verse words, in about five to ten minutes. They just came out, you know, and, and it was amazing. I mean, I remember thinking, this is really nice, like poetry. You know, that for me, that was an exciting moment. I haven't done it that well since, but, <laughs> but that one was really special. So when you were sitting down and that came to you and came, and this is such a common refrain when I speak with, great artists about, you know, one of their most iconic songs um, that's just a classic that really particularly resonated. I hear that so frequently that it just kind of poured out yeah. in a very short period of time. And it's almost like it's, um, you know, otherworldly in a sense, yeah, I, you know? I completely agree with you. It's, uh, the best songs I think are written like that. I'm not saying all of them are, but I think certainly a lot of them are. And, that, and I, that I could tell you for nothing that that's happened a few times since. And they're some of our best songs as well, lyrically and musically. With the music, it was a bit different. I think the enduring factor of Melt With You, I always say this when I'm asked about it, is it seems to glide. You know, it's a song that comes in because it's analog as well, the original recording. And there's like yeah. 16 tracks of guitars all doing the same thing. It just seems to sort of acoustics and electrics. It just sort of seems to glide across across the top of the vinyl or, or, the, or through the radio station. It just comes, it's got a sort of natural feel to it. And then when you put the lyrics with it, the, you know, the melt with you factor and the and lyrics, the verses of the lyrics, which are quite sort of um, poetic, I think that's a nice marriage. So was it, um, was it the lyrics that first and then the music came after in this particular case? Uh, normally with modern English, it would always be the music first. Okay, so, well, the music first. Yeah, I mean, the lyrics were just written separately and I fitted them into into the music sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a special song, no doubt about it. It's been covered by so many bands and you, you're right about 
all the films yeah. and stuff. And, and the dark film, I Melt With You. Um, I don't know if you know about that. Jeremy Pivins, Rob Lowe. Yeah, Mark Pellington film that came out a while back now. But he used a kind of crazy version that we recorded of, of Melt With You as well. It's a very dark film. I like dark films, so that's that's something that I'll be watching tonight. Yeah, that's based on Le Grand Boeuf, which is a French film about a group of people who go to a farmhouse and eat themselves to death. But in this case, the, the American version is that, they, that's go dark. Loads, they go and take loads of drugs and have lots of sex and, you know, gradually die. It's a, it's a good okay. film. It's more, much more commercial than I made it sound. But No, well, like you said, there's the dark undertones of your song. So that's an interesting one. I'm not familiar with that film, but I will check it out because that's, uh, you know, that sounds interesting. So when you you had the music and then the, the lyrics poured out of you, you said you were sitting down and you remember, you kind of remember that moment. Do you recall what your headspace was like? Just like the overall, the vibe in the world at the time, like how you were, you were feeling about things, you know, what you were going through in your life. Just as much of that as you can share, just about the context that maybe led to this particular story, these lyrics. Well, that's, that's a good question, and it's um, one I can, I can remember very well. I mean, if you, I don't know if you're old enough, but this time was... Um, I, nuclear, I am. You know, nuclear wartime, and we're talking Margaret Thatcher in, in Britain, uh, Ronald Reagan in America. I think it was Gorbachev in Russia, and it was dangerous, dangerous times, you know. And to be honest with you, the actual lyric, I melt you, is about a couple making love as the bomb drops. That's, that's literally what it means. I mean, it was a tough time. England was very black and white. There was no color there. There was no money around for most people. I remember the first time we came to America and we saw two cars in driveways and we were like, wow, they've got more than one car, you know? Yeah. I mean, in England, in Britain, not just in England, in everywhere in Britain, it was very, very tough times. And um, I remember it like yesterday. It was very black and white is a good way of putting it. There was no color in, in the country at the time. So, okay. It sounds like it was a bleak, almost a bleak time. It was. And so Melt With You was, I, I don't want to uncover all the meaning from it because I don't want to be literal about it, but it sounds like, okay, there's all these things happening that we can't control, but we can control this. You know, we can tr control making love. We can, you know, be as one and have the positivity of that, you know, something like that. It sounds like that's somewhat what was going through your mind. Yeah. I mean, the first two lines moving forwards, using all my breath. Making love to you is never second best. I mean, that's a definite um, stamp of love in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, it was. It was also supposed to be about the challenge of of being in love at a time when things aren't very aren't very good, aren't, aren't very comfortable around you. You know, I mean, it was really hard times in England. I can't tell you how bad it was for most people, not for the rich, but for for bands and stuff like that. I mean, all of them at the time. I can. Really off a thousand bands, Joy Division, The Cure, Gang of Four, all the bands were making music at that time. It was all because of how bleak it was. And did you all know each other at the time? Some of us did. We lived we lived next door to Killing Joke in London and Ah, you know, Killing Joke. And jo I, I remember them. Yeah, and Joe Strummer from the Clash would drink in the pub down the road and Lemmy was in the putting music on the jukebox back in the day, you know. I mean it's just how it was. That's what the, the attitude of everybody was, we've got to do something creative because it's such a bad time. And that, that's really what, why it all happened. Uh, it, interesting. Do you think that because all these bands were 
you know, it sounds like several were in fairly close proximity to you, too. Did everybody did you get a sense that there was a healthy competition or was it nothing like that? No, not really. I mean, we knew each other vaguely. We'd nod from a distance, but people were doing their own thing, really. You didn't want to encroach on people's personal space, I'd say, was one of the main ones. But um, everyone just wanted to make music, do something creative. And uh, each band was doing something on their own. But at the same time, it, they call it post-punk now. But yeah. what it was was bands who weren't necessarily great players of instruments, but used sound textures and atmosphere. <laughs> to create these really good soundscapes. I read something, it, it was in another interview where you were talking about it was more the kind of that, the texture, the layers of sound almost than, you know, than the precise music itself, which is interesting. It kind of gets back to what you were saying about I Melt With You and how it was gliding over. It was that sort of feeling about it. And that's, um, you know, that, that's an interesting way to put it because there are, in that era, there were there was a lot of that that it was it kind of glided and it was smooth but textured, layered. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I, I always thought the American bands uh, or people in America, their musicianship was better for some. You know, just something about the music that people wanted to play really well musically. Whereas in England, that were the sort of bands that we knew and liked or wanted to be part of that that post punk thing. It was all about sound and texture and effects pedals were used a lot by guitarists. Keyboards were analog and crazy sounding like MS-10s and MS-20 Korgs. Yeah. It was a different, a different sort of slant to stuff. Okay, so I want to get into, you mentioned a little bit about the lyrics. And I have the lyrics right here and I, I know them very well, but I have a question for you. Just when you say the future is open wide, I assume it's, um, that's just a state of op statement of optimism given all the bleakness, but that there is hope. Is that essentially yeah. what you were thinking of at the time? Got it in one. That's exactly what it is. This, uh, you know, amongst all this terrible stuff, there's yeah. got to be some hope, you know? <laughs> and, um, yes. yeah. and, and, that, and that's what that one line tries to deliver. And, and also the humming part is uh, a, kind of, a tiny bit optimistic, I suppose. It could have been a whistle, yeah. which is what the producer initially said. Well, how about a whistle? And I was like, um, I'm not sure about that, you know, kind of thing. Isn't it interesting how a little decision like that may have made a very significant difference in terms of the impact of the song? Yeah, I think that the humming really is a big, massive part of that song. I mean, when it's been sampled in the past by kind of rap artists and kind of dance music, they use the humming quite a lot. Yeah, and, um, yeah. It's, it's interesting that it's such a, a deep hum as well. I think that's what, what's nice about it. It's probably got... I don't know, one or two or three or four hums on top of each other to make it resonate. But they're all quite low register. So you had the song and you brought it into the studio and you, it was recording time and you talked a little bit about the producer. Uh, but how much was shaped in the studio and how much, how faithful was it to when you first brought it together and you just started rehearsing it? No, again, it, that was more a mesh and lace approach. When we had the song initially, yeah. You know, stick this, stick this piece next to that piece. Stick this piece. We didn't know chorus first, middle eight. We didn't understand any of that. So yeah. we just stuck with some music together. And then uh, Hugh Jones, the producer, came in and said, okay, you've got this. Let's try this, this, and this. Because he understood first chorus, first chorus. So he helped us mold it. So he had a real lot to do with the arrangements of the um, the songwriting sort of skill side of it. And we were more the kind of creative 
process side of it. So the marriage of those two worked really well. But I have to say, I have to give Hugh Jones, I have to tip my hat to Hugh Jones. He had a real lot to do with Melt With You and all of After The Snow. And so when it was, when you were done recording and it was in the can, did you know that you had something special at the time? No, in fact, we were kind of a bit against it. Oh, it's a bit commercial. It's a bit a pop song. We're not sure about this, you know, because we were kind of a, an art band at the time, really. And we were, we were a bit unsure about the song, but um, we stuck with it and we, we knew there was something in there different to what we would normally do. And there's nothing wrong with that. We always like to change, um, not stay the same with our music. I think what happened was it was quite a wild thing. It was when we were doing the next album, we started to record some new music. And we found out that in America, radio stations are playing it on import. It wasn't released in America at the time. And we were like, what? It never happened before. They just started playing it. It was like wildfire. So one major station played it, then another one. And all of a sudden, across America, not even on a release, all the major radio stations, which they had back then in the 80s, not so much now, you know, were starting to play on import. So we had a bidding war from all the major radio... uh, record companies try and buy us, you know. And we, we chose Sire with um, Seymour Stein because he had a lot of English bands and he had Madonna, Echo and the Bunnymen, and, you know, it felt like it might be home. So it's almost, ac- not accidental, but um, you didn't release it as a single. And in the States, they just, somebody picked it up in one of these college radio stations, or like a K-Rock in Los Angeles, Richard yeah. Blade type, you know, person yeah. who just saw the potential or felt the, you know, the magic in it. And then the rest is history. And how immediately did your and the band's lives change because of it? Well, I mean, we were first tour of America. We played spring break. We came across on the plane. We're wearing long overcoats. You you can imagine spring break in America. It's like 90 degrees in Florida or wherever. We got off the plane (laughs) in, you know, that's how little we knew about anything. That night, the guy said to us, the, the promoter, look, you can, this, this tickets are all sold for your concert. We're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, we didn't know anything about this stuff. We were used to playing to 200 people in an art club in um, London or something. He said, there's going to be 10,000 people outside. We were like, outside? We never played an outside concert, you know. Or there's 5,000 people inside. We were like, okay, we'll play inside. That night, the whole crowd sang I Melt With You to us as we played it. And we were looking at each other, the band were looking around each other going, wow, what's this? You know, yeah. That's how much our life changed. From that moment on, it changed completely. We did 80 gigs yeah. in 100 it, days on our first tour. 80 gigs in 100 days. That's crazy. I mean, it's amazing how, yeah, I, can, I can't even imagine. And after that, you went on this college tour and spring break tour and, and on and on. From that point forward, did you feel pressure to try to replicate some of the magic of that particular song? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, record companies would be looking at you as if to say, you know, <laughs> where's I melt with you too type of thing, you know. Uh, yeah, and and yeah. actually on, on, um, on um, I mean, every band was pressurized like that back then, I would imagine. We, we were definitely pressurized. But um Back then, it would have been on Ricochet Day's third album, Hands Across the Sea would have supposed to have been there, I Melt With You. And that did that did pretty well for us. 
um, Hands Across the Sea. And again, it was the producer, Hugh Jones, who worked on that. And he was trying to update this musically, make it make us more musically even more than After the Snow. And I think that was the, the failure of that album, really. But Hands Across the Sea was supposed to be the next I Melt With You. Interesting. And I, I want to ask you, the first album was called Mesh and Lace, and you have Mesh and Lace in I Melt With You as part of the lyric. And yeah. maybe I'm just missing, I'm just curious how that came from you and what that means, because it's clearly a recurring theme. Yeah, well, Mesh and Lace just means good and bad, black and white, soft and, you know, hard, whatever, opposites. And I Melt With You is a bit of an opposite sort of song, really. It's got the dark side of it as well as the optimistic bit and the love yeah. side of it so putting mesh and lace in there i was just being clever really <laughs> no but is, i'm just curious as a as an american is that a yeah. is that a phrase that's a common phrase in the uk no, I, not really it's just soft and hard really you know mesh and lace it's just an artistic expression i suppose but yeah, i was just being <laughs> trying to be clever <laughs> yeah yeah well it worked it worked, it worked really, really well. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. You mentioned several bands that when you were growing up and, you know, all the great music that was happening in the UK at the time, and, and I'm sure several of the bands that you mentioned were influences, but were there any artists or bands that were particularly inspirational or... Um, impactful for you and the others in the band. If we, I suppose, you get to, apart from before, you know, punk. David Bowie would have been a massive influence on everybody and Roxy yeah. music, early Roxy music. You know, Pajama Rama, the first sort of period when Eno was with them. Um, definitely, they'd have definitely been influences. But after the punk thing, it would have been one of the bands that really we liked. All of us as a band was Wire, a band called Wire. They were, hmm. they were quite a big influence. And we nearly actually had the singer Colin Newman nearly produced us at one time, a single, but it didn't happen. But they, they would have been one of the number one band that everybody in the band liked. And then I, I also want to go back to something you said about all these different artists and bands who covered I Melt With You. Do you have any particular favorite of all of I those? I do. I do. Nouvelle Vague did like a bossa nova ton of Cuban version of it. And they did an album of all 80s things like Depeche Mode and Echo and the Bunnymen and The Cure. They did a, a whole album of, of uh, kind of bossa nova, I suppose you call it, like a weird, strange music. And they did I Melt With You, and it's really good. And I actually sang it with them at a festival once, which was quite good fun, in Belgium. What's the name of the band? Nouvelle Vague. We have I Melt With You, the movie that we have to dig into and find, and then also check out this band, very interesting, a bossa nova version of I Melt With You. Yeah, it's really good, though. She's got a nice, soft voice. It's a very soft version of it. You know, if you can imagine, moving forward, you know, it's all like very lilty. It's very different to what all the other versions, a lot of them follow our version, really. You know, they don't do anything original with it. This band did, at least did something original with it. 
Well, it's pretty interesting. You know, I I'm, don't have the talent to be a musician, um, but if I'm covering a song, I would think that I would want to reimagine it a little bit rather than, you know? So it's, it, that's funny that you mentioned that, that most everybody stays very, very faithful to the way that you- Yeah, if you slow yeah. it down is when it is, if you slow it down like Nouveau Vague did, then it gets different. But most bands follow 158 tempo and, and just go with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, very interesting. And thanks for taking me through the, through all of that. Uh, it's such a, the lyrics are just wonderful. Like everything, as you said, it's so true. It just kind of flows. And I'm looking at this list again of just all these different television shows and, and movies that have featured the song. And now that, you know, that was kind of the milieu and continuing on with your music. And now just, you will be releasing a new album called one, two, three, four. And so let's talk about that a little bit. What was the genesis for getting back into the studio, recording a new album? Just tell us a little bit about your headspace, about this being the right time to release your new album, this new music. Well, we wanted to get a bit back to how we felt in the very early days, you know, when we weren't really sure about how you wrote a song. We wanted to get back to, our, to the energy and the edginess of the early stuff, which is more mesh and lacy a little bit with after the snow kind of process of songwriting in there as well. Cause you can't really get rid of that once you know it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we also wanted to go in the studio and do it live, you know, like an old fashioned band would do. Cause most of the music on the radio now is homogenized. It's done in with pro tools and you know, the vocals are all got pitch correctors on them and it's all, I don't know. It's just, it's dull. So we wanted to go and record an album that was done in a traditional format where we opened all the doors of the different booths. So there was bleeding from the drums to the guitars and so forth so that we could make it really live. A lot of it's really live. Is that how you recorded it after the snow? No, that was all done separately. Oh, okay. Mesh and Lace. Mesh and Lace was recorded live, a lot of it. But no, Mesh and Lace, Hugh Jones was meticulous and he wouldn't have us all doing it at the same time because he didn't think we were good enough to play it, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody nearly had breakdowns. He really put us through the ringer on that album. But now on this one, Merritt McNulty, the producer, was up for doing a live album. So we chose him. He was very interested and he was taken with the music. He really liked it. There's some really good songs on there. For the first time, I wrote a song on my own called Long in the Tooth. It's one of the first singles on the, on the album. The Rolling Stone were actually, this week, leading with the release statement of it, which I think is on Thursday, the this week, they're going to mention the release. So it's big news for us. It's a big new project. We're going to Mexico City on March the um, 2nd to start playing there with the Buscocks. We're ah, doing a wonderful. Together. Yeah. And then we're coming to America. We're playing Epcot in Disney World or Disneyland. I'm not sure which one it is. And then we're going on tour in a bit in America with the Buscocks again. So we've got a lot of work this year. Well, it, it certainly looks that way because I was seeing that you have you're going to be playing at the Totally Tubular Festival. And the way that I read that, at least, was that was an ongoing tour with you, of course, but great bands like The Romantics, Thomas Dolby, Thomas, uh, at least one of the members from Thompson Twins, Bow Wow Wow, and several others. And so Mexico City kind of first, and then you're going to be, you're going to be playing for several months, it looks like. Yep. 
That's exactly right. I mean, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's March in Mexico and America with the Buzzcocks. Uh-huh. Then we're playing our own concert at Epcot amongst that. Fly back to England and we go to Denmark, Germany, Holland, France, and we play in England for the first time in a few years in March and April. Then, yeah, hey, we get May off. And then we come <laughs> back to do Totally Tubular Festival in June. This next June yeah. to July, which is going to run for about 20-odd concerts. And then I think we might be doing stuff in September as well in Canada. So there's work, and we're thinking about going to Australia. So there's a lot of work this, this year, but it's all to promote the new album, one, two, three, four, which we're really excited about. It's quite a strong album. It's got a lot of edgy sort of songs on it. It's good. It's a good album. Very good. So how do you feel about touring? Is that something you enjoy? It's not so easy as you get older. I'll tell you that. It's the, some of the hardest work you can do. You're traveling for four or five hours a day, do a yeah. sound check get fit a meal in somewhere, you know, then go go and play a concert and then try and get some sleep after a concert. It's not easy. And do yeah. that for four or five days in a row. It's not easy when you get older, but the but the being on stage part is still incredible. Playing live is still really incredible. And have you found that um, you, you described the process of writing I'm Out With You and kind of how you and the band used to approach the song writing process. And I'm not with you, just float out of you in terms of the lyrics. But have you found that over the years, your process has changed? The only difference these days is that you can send each other files. Yeah. You know, on music programs, we use Logic. So we don't always have to be in a room to make the music anymore. But this, the idea of getting the music first and then doing the vocals and lyrics afterwards is still exactly the same. Just because I'm, I follow it pretty closely, the whole world of you know, artificial intelligence and how many artists view it as a threat while other artists see it as an opportunity to create new song sounds, um, a kind of a new sonic landscape. Have you thought about that? Have you had conversations with, you know, your band members and, and other artists that you know? And, and I'm just curious how you feel about the times that we're in and how it's being transformed from like an artificial intelligence perspective as an artist. Personally, I think it's dangerous. I, I find it dangerous because generally that, that stuff gets into mostly the wrong hands. <laughs> if it was to be kept within the confines of a creative, artistic kind of school of thought, that's one thing. That's different. But I don't think it'll do that. And things don't generally do that. And the way I see the modern lifestyles on Instagram, you know, girls with their cheeks stuck up here and lips pouting all the time and breast enhanced. And that seems to be take, taken away from humanity a little bit. The, the human side of things is being left behind. I don't think AI is going to help that. I think it's going to make it worse, unfortunately, because it, it's the only way it can go. It can only go down a more artificial way, which is why it's called artificial intelligence. You know, it, it might make things creative in some ways, but in the long run, I think it will take away from human the basic human instincts. Um, and I have this conversation a lot and I feel really strongly about it. You know, you have all this, um, you know, the technology that marches on all the time and it's making us um, and young people are bombarded with all this noise and digital and everything and heads down because mobile phones and, you know, so, so much of our, so I think in many ways, society is getting more and more insular. And, you know, that also leads to a lot of the other issues that are ongoing. 
And the antidote to that is the live experience, the live music experience, the, you know, sharing the shared experiences of going to see you and the band and um, at festivals and at concerts. And so it's interesting. There's this this counter movement of of this human need to actually share a physical space together and have a lasting memory that way. And so that gives hope, you know, and so the musicians who are doing this and leading the way, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a nice way to put it, and I, I hope it's true. I mean, you'd like to think so, because, you know, the, human interaction is really, really important. I mean, you know, I'm talking about people being in a room together, not looking over a phone together, you know. Yeah. It, it's, but, I mean, I could just be an old-fashioned man, you know. This, the progression of humanity is only going to go one way, and it's going to be much, much more insular, much more people on their own, it seems, you know, in spaces on their own, communicating out through those spaces to everybody else. It just seems to be the way it's going to go. You know, it's interesting, though, but you do see, like, festivals are booming. You know, they're really yeah. booming. And, you know, I have a 21-year-old and a 24-year-old, and they're excited that we're, we're talking about this song and I'm speaking with you. And, like, your music, and you see it, I'm sure, when you're on stage and you see the people out there dancing and singing to it, it's um it's a celebration, right? It's a celebration, and there's this, and people go long ways and work hard to have to travel to get to a concert or to a festival. And so there's a lot of work to go to it, but there's a reason why. And I think that's getting increasingly important. And I hear it from young people all the time, not just, you know, older guys like me. Yeah. I mean, vinyl sales are, in the UK are at the, the highest they've been since the early 60s and 70s. So, you know, yeah. in that sense, people are trying to... It could be, I mean, I, I'm just scared it's nostalgia. You know, it's just nostalgia that people go and see the Cruel World Festival, for instance, because they see that as music from a time where music was very important. And it's less so now, really. And that, to me, is just nostalgia. That's not anything more than that. But I, I hope you're right. I hope I'm totally wrong. I think I'm just a cynical old Brit. Well, you know, it gets back to... Um what we started talking about with I Melt With You, the dark undertones of it, and kind yeah. of comes full circle where you were talking about your state of mind, about a, about two people who are making love while the atomic bomb <laughs> is, you know, threatening them. And, um, you know, you look at the times then and the times today, and I guess, Robbie, that's my question for you. How do you feel today, looking back now, 40-some years at the times then compared to the times today? Well, one of the one of the songs that I think is going to be the first single in the UK off the new album is called "Not My Leader," mm -hmm. and it's basically what it says on the tin. It's you know against corporate greed, against pathetic politicians who don't have anything but their own welfare in their minds. It's just a job for them to have. And I think when I go back to when we first came to America, for instance, and you had Ronald Reagan and we had Margaret Thatcher. You fast forward to, I don't even know how to explain the Donald Trump's stuff to anybody whether he's got a brain. And, and you know, for us, it, recently it's been Boris Johnson. It seems like nothing's really changed too much in terms of um, just how it just doesn't seem to have moved on. You know, people don't seem to have gathered any information from that time. Yeah, yeah. Music is the great escape. Yeah, yeah. Are there any other projects that are, priorities for you right now yeah well uh, me and mick the bass player from the band have almost written another album 
which is all again is very different to what this album one two three four my priority would be once we've done all this work touring would be to start recording some of that but would that be a modern english album yeah yeah oh it would be but again it'll be different to what we've done before this has always been the problem with modern things people latch on to one sound we make and then we move on and do something else yeah that's always been the way from meshing lace to after the snow from after the snow to one two three four you know you you got it's just the way we are it's just the way we're made yeah well look it's it's worked out very well so good for you so i'm gonna go rapid fire what is your favorite song that you've ever written or co-written probably long in the suit because i've read it wrote it on my own and that's quite an exciting thing for me which is on the new album and it's got a lot of energy in it. I wanted to write something that had energy in it. I wanted it to be in the same same ilk as ever fall in love with someone by the Buzzcocks or Boys Don't ah, Cry, yeah. The Cure, or or girl, um, another girl, another planet from the Only Ones. I think that kind of ilk. What is the most memorable moment, or one of the most memorable moments that you recall as an artist? It doesn't have to be a big event. You know, just is there anything in particular that sticks in your mind as that was magical? Cruel World was pretty special this this I, last year. I was that, there. It, it was great. I mean, that was pretty special because luckily for us, no one was playing the other stage when we came on. So everybody gravitated towards the one stage where there was a band on and we were on. And they were all singing I Melt With You. The sun was shining. We were playing with Susie and the Banshees and Iggy Pop. It was pretty special. We also did a tour with Roxy Music um, in the 80s. We played Roxy Music on a tour. That was very, very special to do. What do you think, Robbie, if you had not become an artist, what do you think you'd be doing? The one thing I did know is I didn't want to, after I worked for five years as a printing apprentice, get up in the dark, come home in the dark, make a wage. I knew I didn't want that. Yeah. So I'm not, but I'm not sure why. I do a lot of traveling when I don't work with the band and make music. I like, I've been to most countries in Southeast Asia now from my house in Thailand's a good hub for that. So yeah, traveling is a big, big thing for me. I love traveling. I love going to different cultures and countries. And it's so important to do. It's so important to see how other people live and appreciate other cultures. Who is on your playlist right now? And since Radiohead in Britain, there's not been much music that I've liked, but there's two bands out right now. One of them's Irish. They're called uh, Fontaine's DC. Oh and yeah, them, I was just, it's funny you mentioned them. We were just listening to Fontaine's DC. Now they're really good and they're lyrical and I like poetry aspects of the singer and, and I like their attitude and they're just a, a very good band. And But the best band out of England at the moment, they're from Bristol, they're called Idols and they are really good. They're the best thing that's come out of England for a long, long time. I-D-L-E-S, very aggressive. The singer's a, the singer's a wild man. Um, they're all very interesting on stage. They, they, they like chaos in their music. They're, they're very good. They're just the best thing that's come, for me anyway, that I've heard since the Sex Pistols. That was Robbie Gray of Modern English sharing the story behind the band's iconic 80s anthem, I Melt With You, which you'll be able to see perform live on the band's upcoming tour in support of their first new album in over eight years. I'm here with Peter Chotti. Reach out to me at peter at deepcutsmedia.com with your feedback about the show and ideas of which artists you would like me to interview next. For more of the story behind the song, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tune in each week for new episodes. And make sure you're following the Consequence Podcast Network to keep up to date with all our series at consequence.net 
forward slash consequence dash podcast dash network. And as always, thanks for listening to the story behind the song. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.